The reading for this sermon is 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3-9. through 9. Born again to a living hope. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray before... Lord Jesus Christ, grant us obedience to you through the sprinkling of your blood. Amen. <clears throat> All right, so junior high school was actually a lot of fun for me. Uh, I had no problem with fitting in because I didn't try to. Instead, my large group of friends and I simply blazed our own trails Uh, marched to the beat of our own drums, so to speak, and we pursued our own interests. We didn't try to fit into what other people were doing. However, as the end of eighth grade quickly drew near, I did in fact start to get nervous. You see, how my school district was set up growing up was bizarre. Of my large friend group, only about three or four of my friends would be continuing with me to my high school. The others were going to one of two other high schools in the area, one of which was not in the same athletic conference, as well as the two others going to uh, private Catholic schools. All of a sudden, the confidence that I had in my cushy place in a seemingly ancient friend group, it all got smashed. I would need to fit in with new kids that I had never met. Who, who knew what Downers Grove, Illinois kids, were like compared to Darien, Illinois kids? I mean, I know that their, their parents probably drove like Range Rovers and Jeeps and shopped at boutique grocery stores, and they, the kids were probably enrolled in private tutoring since kindergarten, and the finest traveling sports teams with personal trainers. There's no way I could compete in athletics anymore. How could I compete? How could I compete with these kids? On top of all of that, I've seen the early 2000s teen comedy movies, You Can't Fool Me. I might get bullied. What if the seniors throw pennies at me or they shove me in a locker? I have to admit, though, that the latter does seem quite impossible. I don't think I've ever fit in a locker. But regardless of that truth, 
I most likely was never going to get bullied, let's be real. But the threat was always in the back of my mind, programmed from popular culture and rumors that somehow I might get bullied as a freshman in high school. No matter the threat perceived or real, these threats, uh, these threats do seem to get to us. Whether the threat is there or not often becomes unimportant as the fear of that threat starts rumors, and rumors lead to unrest, and unrest lead to blame and mistakes being made. Something which I'm noticing is that Lots of global, societal, historic issues are being packaged and sold to us as individuals. An example would be schools in certain school districts, they have terrible test scores. And what this means is that we should pay more taxes to improve those test scores. And if you don't want to pay a higher tax and speak out about it, then people might say that you don't care about kids, say. Another shocking truth that I found on the internet was that 100 companies are responsible for 71% of the world's emissions. This means that you personally need to recycle and pay more taxes. But if someone finds out that you don't feel like washing out that peanut butter jar that one week to recycle, you'll probably feel guilty about it for the rest of the week. And now there is a terrible virus that is sweeping the globe. There's lots of things to learn from this. We've learned our dependency on foreign countries for supply chains and public health necessities, the stock market's dependency on public opinion, and a host of other things. But all of these social peer pressure phenomenon, uh, of all of these that I've mentioned, this one might take the cake for now. Uh, people are literally hoarding and fighting in the street for toilet paper. I've seen the videos. At first, the worst thing a living human being could do to another person, at least for a few weeks, was wear a mask in public. People might come up to you at the grocery store and start yelling at you for stealing a mask off the face of a nurse. But now people are being thrown off buses and arrested for forgetting it at home. Stay at home. Don't visit your grandparents. Don't visit your grandkids. Uh, don't visit your friends. Don't visit your neighbors. Cover your mouth with a cloth. Uh, wash your hands as often as you can. Wipe down your doorknob. Don't travel. Pastors and family are watching from a distance as their family and loved ones are getting sick and they cannot help or visit. All of the responsibility of this virus, the onus, has come on to us individuals because who knows who to blame truly. When Peter was writing 1 Peter, the epistle for today, he had a certain audience in mind. He was writing to what he calls the elect resident aliens living in Asia Minor under Roman control. And honestly, 
Honestly, it's almost impossible to understand or put ourselves into their world, much less compare what we're struggling with today with what our early brothers and sisters in Christ were experiencing and suffering back then. Uh, these Christians were early on, as we hear in the, as we heard in the Acts reading today, they were being uh, truly systematically oppressed by the Jewish high councils at the time. And if the apostles were speaking the words of life that give everlasting life, they were thrown in jail with no speedy trial that were promised today. Instead, they'd be brought out after rotting away for a little bit, maybe for a few hours, uh, or maybe then days, and then questioned. Often above their intelligence level, we actually um, have been uh, referenced in Acts, and especially after such long imprisonment, imprisonment, it was difficult to uh, struggle and fight with what words and concepts were being strung over your head. And they were often, it seems like, tricked into saying the wrong thing, which might get them put to death or just tortured. The apostles in the Acts reading today, at least, were beaten severely after being let go by divine intervention. One of the Pharisee members of the council was afraid of a historical precedent which was set for armed rebellion. So, they were let go after the miracle mentioned before of the apostles being sprung from prison. But don't hear the verse from today's reading, we must obey God rather than men. And take that as a warrant to defy what our government is telling us to do today with our stay-at-home order. Uh, the apostles were talking about the need for Christ's gospel message to prevail over real physical and psychological persecution. Peter talks about Christians being maligned and reviled by their societal peers and communities. And Paul says that even Peter... One of the most embarrassing things, I believe, in what the New Testament was embarrassed to be seen eating with Gentiles at one point. At a very base level, try to imagine the social cost of becoming Christian. Propose that you're Jewish, or you're a Jew, and you've accepted Jesus as the Messiah who was promised, and now all of a sudden... There's no more holidays with your family. Your parents don't talk to you anymore. They pretend as though you've died. Or say you're a Gentile, maybe like an architect or something. You're confronted with the Christ message. And because of the work of the Holy Spirit, you simply cannot say no to this. Now everyone at work laughs at you, saying, Your God is that dead Jew that they nailed to a cross. You think people can come back alive from the dead? Wait, for real? Crixus, think of your wife and kids at home. Think of your future at the company. Well, when I arrived at high school that fall, my anxieties never came to fruition. You see... By the, this point, I was maybe six foot three or four, soon to outgrow my father, and finally outgrow my older brother, 
and I would end up at six foot seven. Speaking of which, when I arrived as a freshman, my brother was in fact a junior at the high school, a member of the football team, and he'd often come visit me in the hallway before or during school to check up on me, see how I was doing, how people were treating me. A classic older brother making sure I was okay, but giving me the distance I needed to thrive and be my own person. He had already gone ahead of me to this high school, and he was doing fine. My fears of bullying were irrational. I was, I was going to be fine at this school. The lives of the apostles also had a guarantee of sorts. They were guaranteed by Christ himself that their lives weren't going to be easy. Quite a different guarantee from my own. They would face persecution and suffering as well as great joy, all on account of the name of Jesus. Something unique that Peter talks about in 1 Peter is something called the harrowing of hell. It describes what happened when Jesus died and uh, has found its way into our creed actually, which we will confess shortly. But it says that Jesus died and went to hell in order to proclaim victory over sin, death, and the devil. And then he rose again, of course, to win eternal life for his apostles and all who believe on him. And what this means for us is that Jesus went ahead of mankind, ahead of us, first to suffering on this earth, And then to suffering in the spiritual places and proclaiming victory over it. Though Christ did not suffer in hell, he did proclaim that victory over it. And now that he lives, now that he rose, he goes ahead, he goes ahead to his father's house in heaven to prepare a room for his faithful disciples there, but also to store and to guard the treasure of our salvation. Inheritance, knowing and trusting fully that there, uh, <clears throat> knowing, and tr- and <clears throat> knowing and trusting that their salvation was ready for them in heaven as their inheritance, protected by their Savior, what could then stop the disciples? Could the threat of death, torture, interrogation, momentary peer pressure, or shunning, with this new resurrected life of Christ living in them by their baptisms, the apostles and disciples instead rejoiced with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory? Even those who had not seen the risen Christ felt this way. So yes, the times are strange for us right now. It seems like there is much peer pressure on us from our authorities, our family, and our friends, and society to act in a certain way and to follow specific rules. But we know that any trials, no matter how minor or small as ours seem to be right now, incomparable to what our brothers and sisters in Christ faced, and now face elsewhere in the world. These trials are not driving us to despair, 
but instead are testing. Not testing like school, but testing like refining or strengthening our faith in Christ Jesus. We know with certainty, in fact, that there's nothing we have to do to protect our salvation because Christ himself guards it with the fullness of the multitudes of angels. Luther once wrote that anything I hold in my hands, I will lose, and anything I give to God to hold in his hands, he never loses. Your salvation is one of those things that God cannot lose, that he's holding in his hands, and by that, you cannot lose unless you deny it. Returning to my childhood real quick, something I often talk about when I went hiking for two weeks in New Mexico. I remember climbing a specific rock feature with our team, um, our team of scouts and scout leaders, and it was, it was called the Tooth of Time. I don't really know if it's a mountain or not. It's called like a geographical feature. It's more of like a rock outcropping. And uh, up near the top, near the peak, what I would call the peak, it was more or less a series of giant boulders that seemed to be left there by a creator's hand, uh, making the final ascent quite burdensome. And the real challenge was getting down safely. If you can imagine, hopping down giant boulders was not the safest thing to do. Uh, so we assembled into teams of guys who would stand on the next boulder down and act as like a receiver, catching each of us as we hopped down to the next rock, stabilizing our landings and preventing us from tipping over to our deaths. Knowing that I was looking down at my father who had come along, waiting to catch me with his arms stretched open wide, it gave me the courage to jump. Uh, and knowing that our inheritance of Christ's resurrection, salvation, and eternal life are being guarded through faith by God's power in heaven gives me the courage and the strength to live the daily life, the resurrected life. Though I have not seen him, I love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice obtaining the outcome of our faith, the salvation of our souls. We don't know the extent of what the resurrected Christ did exactly before ascending, but we were told that we were told enough that we may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing on him, we might have eternal life in his name. We too are elect Resident aliens living in a strange land called Earth. Our inheritance and citizenship is in heaven. The blessed assurance that our salvation is safely guarded by God fills us with the security to begin living better lives here on Earth. We know that we cannot do it all, that we will only fail those whom we promise to act perfectly, but we're empowered by Christ's example and his going before us, that we might share that hope and inheritance with others here on earth while we live here. Christ has gone before you. 
He has won victory over sin, death, and the devil for you. And you were born again in your baptism to have a new resurrected life in him. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. Amen. Let's please stand.